I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. On today's episode, I go solo with coaching legend Lee Taft. Lee is a highly sought after and respected speed coach, speaker, consultant, and educator. He has created numerous books and courses on speed development, including Complete Speed and the Speed Insiders Academy, where I first met Lee, and he has been one of the most influential coaches of my career. He now has a basketball speed specialist certification, which you can learn more about in the show notes. In this episode, we dive into the following topics. Overall multi-directional speed principles and how to layer sports-specific elements on top. Thoughts for the first session with a multi-directional speed sport athlete. How to apply the above concepts to the weight room and general population clients. Being patient with outcomes. The biggest change of direction misconceptions. The biggest mistakes we make as teachers and getting to know how your clients like information delivered to them. So without further ado, here is our episode with Lee Taft. Whether you are building strength or building back stronger, you need to check out Anchor. Anchor provides the portable space-saving cable trainer that is powering athletes' training across the world of sports and performance. The company's newest product, the Anchor Pro, provides a professional-grade cable training experience at a fraction of the cost of a traditional cable machine. Visit ancoretraining.com and get an exclusive 10% off your Anchor Pro order for being a more trained, less pain listener. Enter the code MTLP at checkout and get your anchor and train without limits today. Lee, you are looking tan in that Florida sun over there. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of years waiting to get down here and we finally made it. And it's funny because I have a shirt on right now that actually has sleeves, but I think I cut all my other sleeves off. I'm like, once I hit Florida, I'm like, that's it. I'm in the sun and (laughs) No sleeves. (laughs) I'm trying to get to the point where I just can't fit in sleeves anymore just because of the the size discrepancy. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of work to do ahead of me. Um, Do you play a lot of pickup basketball outside on like courts or anything? You know, I used to play a ton. I will play now every once in a while with my son. I have a 13 year old son and we'll go to this uh, recreation center and there's uh, usually on Saturdays, there's pickup games and stuff. And I, it's funny, a few weeks ago, we got in one, we probably played two hours nonstop. And I had, I mean, I'm going to turn 56 in a couple of weeks here. And, and I, I felt so good because I haven't done it that hard in a long time. It just, it was kind of like being a kid again. You know what I mean? Just running up and playing. And it was, it was great. But yeah, I wish I could do more actually. You just look like one of those guys who just shows up to like an outdoor like pickup game and just destroys everyone. (laughs) You know, what's funny is uh, we talk about you and I are, you know, so aware of how important, you know, getting prepared to train is like mobility and flexibility. 
I show up at a court. I'm just like every other kid. I just get out there, give me a couple of jump shots. All right, let's go. Get down in a stance and start playing. I never get hurt. I never get injured. You know, I'm sore the next day just because I had done it. But isn't it funny? You just kind of get out there when you play and you kind of, it's almost like intuitively, you kind of give yourself five minutes of kind of running easy. Then you loosen up and then you get going and I'm, then I'm fine. But yeah, I just kind of yeah, step out there and go like the kids. Exactly. Especially from all the, the work you do, like you're very, seems like you're very physically active. We don't give our bodies probably enough credit of like, we can go out there, shoot around a little bit and then boom, like what we're ready exactly. to go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a big part of it sometimes is I don't worry about injuries. Like I've never been the type I, I've had, you know, multiple injuries over the years, nothing major, major like surgery type injuries, but I just go through them and I just take my time. And I, you know, I, if I, you know, I just kind of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll back off a little bit, but not stop, you know, keep going. I think the blood flow and just my attitude keeps me healthy, you know, keeps me going. So. Absolutely. I think that was one of my greatest struggles when I transitioned from collegiate level to the private sector, because I went from working with, I'm sure the people you work with a lot, people who are very aware of their bodies, no fear in movement, anything like that. And a lot of my clientele kind of changed towards, uh, general population clients, low training age. And I was very taken back with a lot of the fear that is within movement or, you know, not doing every single thing in a warm up and starting um, and something it like is guaranteed to happen kind of in their mind. So yeah. that was, that was a big thing for me a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was funny too, because for a long time, I, in my facilities, I trained athletes, but then I had adults. And it's like, you have to switch gears yeah. so quickly. And it's, it's a 180. It's just like you said, all of a sudden, you've got to take your time, very gentle and be aware of concerns. Kids are like, they'll bounce off the wall and just get up and keep going. You know, it's like. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But these are all definitely, you know, great coaching tips that you just have to learn from experience. But at the same time, so I think I'm probably known, if you will, for a lot of biomechanics and maybe being yeah. associated with like Definitely. Postural Restoration Institute, so on and so forth. But I don't think people realize how much you and especially your Speed um, Insider course has had on me as a coach and kind of my outlook on how I, you know, organize my information. So one of the biggest things I respect about you is how well you organize information. So if anyone who's taking your Speed Insider course, Thank which you. I recommend to everyone. Thank you. You know, you have an incredible ability to every single module, there is a goal with each skill. So what you're looking for, the intent of everything, the cues later on that you're going to match with that intent, the progressions, and then the key points that are, are related to each skill. And like, context on top of that. So the, one of the biggest things I've learned from you is matching whatever drill or repositioning step or change of direction aspect you're working on, you know, layer that with, you know, working on a low box and feeling that athlete do the skill or the cue that you want them to, and then move them into the drill and just kind of let them do it. Yeah. That's, that's been a game changer for me. And then, um, don't worry, I'll, I'll stop talking soon, but no, this is great. <laughs> I think the root cause of a lot of coaches who I interact with struggle is, um, 
that it reminds me of a quote that you said of know what you want it to look like and then make it look like that. And it's just like so simple, but I think a lot of coaches either one or two impatient where they think it's going to look, look like that on the first time, or they don't really know what it's supposed to look like first. And so I, I use that quote uh, quite often with the, with some of the coaches that I work, work with. Um, so first of all, thank you for that. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Of course. So the first thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about, of course, I'm obsessed with principles. I've been on your podcast talking yes. about them, but you work with multi-directional speed athletes and principles and overarching concepts. So how do you, when you work with an athlete or when you're working with a coach trying to figure some stuff out, what are some overall multi-directional speed principles? And then now you're kind of getting to very like sports specific mm-hmm. uh, speed work, such as like your tennis program and your basketball program. So how do you then layer some of those tennis and basketball specific skills on top of those foundational principles that you have? Yeah, that's a great question because I think the biggest thing that I try to do with with any program or any athlete is establish a foundation of, you know, whether it's the seven movement patterns or the various other aspects of change of direction or whatever it might be, is just establish what the human system should be doing when it's dealing with things such as momentum and then the mass that comes with it. Um, the intent of the movement. So if you and I are racing five yards versus you and I racing five yards and back, so five oh, you know, and then coming back to the start, the intent of those two things are different. One of them is purely pushing through space, right? So the principles that we're going to identify with the athletes, or at least, you know, not that we're going to go deep with the athletes as to what it means, just the, the, the teaching points, <clears throat> excuse me, are going to be We want to make sure that we uh, accentuate everything we can to be able to get into the proper acceleration position. So what does that model look like? In the principles of that, we definitely want to define what arm action means with early acceleration because it's only five yards. So it's much different than sprinting arm action. We want to identify what the leg piston type action is like compared to sprinting because that's much different. And then because you and I might change direction, now we have to identify what does that look like and what does the model look like once I've done maybe three and a half yards and all of a sudden I have to start rearranging my posture to get into what we would call a tilt and and be able to plant my legs to now be able to stop that massive momentum. So the principles we might identify there are something like staying very level, staying in the tunnel as much as possible, trying to eliminate too much up and down so we don't dissipate our forces, uh, making sure that we create angles of force application into the ground. On the first one is simply to move my body. On the second one, it's to re-accelerate my body because now I have to change directions. And when I change directions, the goal is re-acceleration, not stopping. If the goal were stopping, 
the principles and the actual model of stopping is different. It looks different because I settle over my center, my center mass settles over my feet. But when I'm changing direction, it's kind of like the side of a house, the rooftop where it has a pitch to it. So I'm gonna plant on that angle and then I'm gonna go back on that angle to get back to the starting position. So when we simply, through cueing and through demonstration, get our athletes to understand those things, and you and I as coaches understand, you know, obviously what we're trying to do with the principles, that's why I often say, you know what you want the athletes to do, so get them to do it. You know what I mean? Just don't, don't overthink it. Just this is what we want to do. We want to change direction. Watch it, videotape it, study it, understand that. If you get them to get on the ball of their foot, that's a mistake. The ball of the foot will get in contact, but if we don't go flat-footed with a shin pushed forward, which puts the weight on the ball of the foot, we're now going to maybe sprain an ankle. Because if I just go the ball of my foot, my heel's up in the air, I'm in plantar flexion, and i got all this mass and momentum going – that's a good opportunity to roll an ankle or at least be less stable and a little bit slower. So those are the things that I try to identify myself as a coach. But for my athletes, I try to simplify it through simple cueing that guides them to discovering how to do it. Discovering. I, I love that. I, I feel like when I definitely went through your course, a lot of it were was here's what I believe, right? Here's my principles. And then how do you turn that into a lesson? And basically the whole session is about teaching them that. And it's not directly, right? You're using your cues and kind of your context work of like low box, fake throws and all that stuff to do it. Yeah. So how has putting together this, these tennis programs and basketball programs really varied from, you know, the foundational work that you focus on. Yeah. You know, what's great about this kind of discussion is it lets us understand context because when I play tennis and I'm going to move. So if you and I are playing tennis and you're all the way on the other side of the net, there's no chance of contact. It's not like basketball where we might bump into each other and I might take your path away, but there is a net that net cord, which is the white tape along the top for the listeners who aren't sure where the net cord is. That's the top. That can distract my vision. If I stood like a basketball player down in a good defensive stance, I'm going to lose sight of that ball for a moment. And that's not a good thing. Not in a sport as fast as tennis, as fast as that ball travels. So my athletic general stance needs to be taught. The basic gait cycle and everything we need to do, linear, lateral, and rotational needs to be taught. But now as a tennis player, I need to play a little bit higher because of vision. So vision changes how we're going to instruct on certain sports, okay, because of because of being able to see whether it's a ball or an opponent. A volleyball player plays very low, especially a back row defender. They play very low, easy for them to see through the net, but their context is I can't let that ball touch the floor. That's their job. So they're going to play closer to the ground. So when we start instructing for tennis, It's very reactive based on what the opponent does to me. And instantly I know my job and I can anticipate my recovery from that job. So you hit to my forehand, I'm going to run over. I'm going to hit my forehand. I'm going to do a recovery step back. And then I'm going to work my way back somewhere towards the middle of the court based on where you are. Basketball 
is very much consistent, especially if I'm on defense, very much consistently reacting to your tactic. So it's, it's purely um, agility, which is more reactive. I'm just reacting to what you're making me do to stop you from getting to the basket or making a shot or making a good pass. So can I play low? Absolutely. Is it great for everybody to play that low? No, because it, because biomechanically it's hard for some athletes to get really low because it becomes more of a game of power when elastic energy might be better, might serve them better when they play a little bit higher because they're still able to be quick from there. So that's the cool thing about taking those seven general patterns or whatever we're going to teach just in general locomotion and then saying, okay, now to be good at this sport, these are this, this is how that skill set needs to be used. And what's really cool, Michelle, is once an athlete plays that sport, the sport kind of takes hold, almost like holds their hand and says, here, I'll, I'll show you how to move. If you just keep playing me. You know, you can't move like an offensive lineman blocking for a quarterback in basketball. But if I move like a basketball player playing offensive left tackle in, in football, I'll get crushed, right? So the sport just kind of absorbs you into the patterns. And I that's what I love about the specificity of movement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're a frank conditioning coach, so you're working on like performance factors, but I had a few conversations kind of funny that I'm talking to you today recently with friends who have to deal with the sport coaches and they're not, they're just getting really frustrated at like tall, lanky, you know, volleyball players who can't get low. And you just referenced, you know, biomechanical issues that may prevent them from that. How do you handle, you know, coaches who may, you know, apply the same things to everyone, but not, or, or excuse me, get frustrated at when they can't recognize. execute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so the question is always, the conversation I've always had anytime I was in that situation where I'm the strength coach for a sport program and I'm not in charge completely, I'm just kind of, it's, it's what's the ultimate goal? What do we want this athlete to be able to do or this team to be able to do? And if we can come to an agreement there, then the conversation becomes, yes, it would be great if we could all get down nice and low and look pretty on photographs because we're way down in that stance. But if we're slower there, that's not good for anyone. That makes the athlete frustrated. It makes you frustrated as a coach because you keep yelling at your players because they keep getting beat or fouling. Or if it's a sport like tennis and it drives me nuts with tennis coaches say, you got to get lower. I'm like, why do they want to get low? Their, their job is to hit the ball over the net. Watch the great one of the greatest players in the world, Roger Federer, hit. Sometimes he hits with his legs almost straight. He just rotates and just that's the nature of the sport. And then what I try to explain to them is we have different force, uh, sources of energy. Like we have this power, which is faster than strength, but it's slower than this reactive speed or this this athlete. Um, elastic speed. I said, we need to marry those. We need to make sure they can do them well. So if I'm trying to do a vertical jump and I'm the middle in volleyball and the set comes really quick, I don't have time to go all the way down into this picture perfect hip hinge, big arm swing and low. By that time, the ball's already smashed my libero because I never got up and set a block. So we have to identify that. And in basketball, it's the same thing. I'm always saying, look at 
you got to understand these things are happening so fast. They don't have time to use all these power type movements. Sometimes it's just very reactive. They reposition their feet. And the more they've been trained with some strength, they got good stability. Now the elastic energy can go somewhere and it moves the athlete much quicker. It's just trying to get them to understand, hey, we're on the same direction. We both want this. You got to trust me. Just like I'm not going to tell you how to teach somebody to serve or how to, you know, make a run your offense, but let me let them move better for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like at this point, you can kind of watch someone perform and then kind of break down, you know, what they need to do. It's almost like your first session with them could probably be like watching film. But what does like your typical first session look like when it comes to a field sport athlete? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, it's it's, kind of cool because I have a kid flying in tomorrow that I'm going to work with. And so what I will do with this athlete is after I get them prepared and warmed up and ready to go, I will put them through my seven patterns, okay, the seven different patterns. So I'll just describe them really fast. So two, the first two are sprinting and acceleration. Those are the linear. Now the sprinting, I don't have to do maximum sprinting, but I can do sprint drills. And then I'll go lateral. So a lateral shuffle and a lateral run. Then I'll go backwards, a back pedal and a hip turn. And then I'll do some kind of jump. And I just did real quick. I don't take a lot of time. I just want to see how they negotiate their body. But then once I start seeing how they're going to move, I put them right off into a reactive drill. And the first type of reaction is what I call a tier one, which they know exactly where they're going to go. They just don't know when. And so I can have them go straight at me, which I will, but then I'll also have them turn and hip turn out of it to go and accelerate for about five yards. So I get to see how they negotiate their body and find an angle when they have to actually reposition their feet. What that's going to do for me, Michelle, is it's going to start giving me their DNA. I'm going to start to all of a sudden say, ah, okay, now I see, they just keep repeating these similar patterns. They have a hard time doing this, or they're very comfortable doing this, this type of pattern. And it tells me a lot because I've put them in a situation where they have to react. And ultimately that's what they're going to do on game day anyway. So I start them where they're going to live. And then I can say, okay, this athlete's lacking these couple things. Maybe there's more, but these couple things are the priority. If I can fix those it might trickle down and fix some other things. You you would do that with a, you know, in the case of a, uh, a therapy session or a biomechanical analysis, sometimes you just, you fix the big thing and everything else just kind of falls in line. And so that's what I try to look for when it comes to multi-directional movement for an athlete. So I get them reacting, their body tells me what they like to do. And now my job gets easy from there. Now it's just selecting what skill I want to attack first. And then we just go from there. Yeah, I apply your model to a lot of the high schoolers and middle schoolers that I work with now. And, you know, the first session that I have them, I basically run them through all of those patterns, don't really coach them too much. Yeah. I just want to see what they do. Yep. And then, okay, I say, hey, after the session, I have a really good idea of like what I can change or impact. And it usually is really just starting with one of those patterns. Yep. But then I was like thinking, you know, do I, I think this way with every client that I have, even like my general population clients, it's like, you want to see how they react physically. So 
usually when someone comes in, I kind of take them through like an orientation session where I say, you know, hold the kettlebell like this, perform a squat. And I don't coach. I just want to see what they do, right? You see how they react. And a lot of that too is you want to see how they react to challenge, right? You give them like a hard drill and then maybe you give them a few cues and then it's okay. How did they react to that coaching that I gave them? Cause some people can act kind of negatively to feedback. Yep. And then you have to be like, Oh, okay. Like I'm not going to be able to give a lot of feedback to this individual because they just won't, they won't take it in very well. Exactly. exactly. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, basically the way I teach a multi-directional speed athlete is pretty much how I'm kind of teaching everyone. Um, which was was pretty cool. So yeah, learn yeah. that from and, you. Sure. Well, you know, another thing, if I can mention real quick, one thing that I like to do, whether it's my athletes or when I was working with adults, is every other skill I was teaching them, or drill, or movement, or exercise, when on the orientation uh, session, I would on one exercise I would do a verbal explanation. But on another exercise, I would do demonstration only and just say, do what I did. And I would that what that would allow me to do is how do they like their information delivered to them? Do they like are they like if if you demonstrate the way my mind works, I'll pick out everything you did in, in one or two reps because my mind works that way. If you explained it to me, I'm saying, OK, I think I got it. Say it one more time. But if I see it, so some of my athletes, if I just demonstrate, they're like, got it. Others, they want to hear something. And that's that way I make notes. And now I know that group or that athlete, that's how I have to uh, interject with them or, or give them a new drill. I have to demo or they just have to hear it. And then they go from there. Yeah, it's understanding who you have in front of you, right? Yeah, Especially exactly. what you deal with when you're trying to break down something that is very reactive. Yeah. Um, now, how much conversation do you have with the people that you're consulting with or working with individually to their maybe weight room training coach? Yeah, that's so when I deal with athletes that like I have an athlete I work with now that comes down to me from IMG. Okay, so they get strength training. And they do some movement training and stuff. So when they come to me, I'm just putting out fires. I'm just fixing things very specific. We're going after this one thing today and that's it. Because they already do stuff. So I don't try to, you know, keep hammering them on the same patterns they're already doing. Um, but what I try to do when it comes to the strength portion of it, when I'm, when I'm dealing with a team or individual athlete, is saying, how is your strength training going? If they say, well, we're not really strength training right now. I said, well, okay. Well, that tells me a lot because you're having a hard time pushing through space or escaping space. You're just not generating enough force. And then we just give them really simple, basic stuff they can do because some of them don't have access to a weight room like you and I would. So we just talked to them about some simple stuff that will help get them going. If it's a situation where they are strength training, and the strength training is maybe detrimental. It's not exactly programmed really well, and it's probably causing some residual uh, fatigue and effects that the athlete's feeling, but they don't realize that's what it's coming from. But when I see their program and I see 
92 sets of something, you know, of different leg exercises and calf exercises with your toes in, toes up, four sets of 10, all this kind of stuff. Then I kind of say, okay, listen, don't disrespect your coaches, anything like that. But you're probably getting too much volume here. You've got something that needs to be adjusted. If you're comfortable with it, I don't mind speaking with your strength coach and just saying, hey, is there anything I can help with? Um, you know, I, I just want you to know I'm working with your, you know, athlete. And and uh, I noticed that they were really fatigued and they showed me. And I just, you know, think maybe the volume's a little bit too much on them because they're getting some pain. And But I always say to the strength coach, I realize you're dealing with a lot of athletes and it's hard to know what everybody's doing. So maybe I can help with this one athlete because I have him by myself. So my job's easier than your job. You got the tough job. And then it kind of lets them know, hey, some some athletes or some coaches will say, hey, that'd be great. Uh, that'd be great. Others are like, well, hey, tough. He's got to work in with the group. And that's when you just kind of tell the kid, be careful. And you tell the parents, just protect yourself. And you make sure they're doing things right. And sometimes I've even told them, I hate to even admit this, fake your intensity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Make it go feel lighter. Like even make it lighter, but make it seem like you're really working hard. Because sometimes you just got to survive bad programming. And that's sometimes the advice I've given athletes so they don't get hurt. Yeah, I've, I've struggled with that as well. I had, you know, some athletes in the summer or um, during the Christmas kind of break period of time. And, you know, they may be doing their strength conditioning program or going to kind of a group weight room experience and then coming yeah. to see me once a week. And it, it's it's difficult. It, you, we want to make sure we have the biggest impact as possible, right. but we also can't, you know, pretend that there's no other factors involved and think that we're the only kind of intervention that they are having. So we got to be able to work with all these variables. Yep. Now, you know, a lot of the coaching tips that you give is, is really what I hear is a lot of like teacher, student learning kind of environment. What do you think the biggest mistakes are that we make as teachers or coaches in terms of really making sure that the people that we work with are learning kind of specific lessons? Yeah, yeah. And this is a big one. My background is teaching. I grew up in as a teacher um, in, in public schools and, and private schools, and I, and I grew up in a teaching family. My father was in it for 44 years, and my brothers and sisters have retired as teachers and their their husbands and wives were teachers. So I grew up around it and I studied it a lot. I studied learning. And the biggest thing that I had to learn when I was a young teacher is to allow the learning process to take place, to understand when you give input or I give some kind of, get the athlete in a situation where they're having some kind of sensory um, uh, feeling of to, to the movement, to, to strength, to speed or whatever it is. It's not like just because you gave it to them, they've already learned it and adopted that as their new pattern. You have to be okay with, I like to say, you have to be okay with the sloppiness or the ugliness. You've got to allow that to take place. Doesn't mean you don't keep encouraging. And you don't give cueing as, hey, you're doing a great job. Your effort is great. Your attitude towards this is really good. If you give them too much of feedback where it's too mechanical, 
all the time, what happens is if their body's not feeling what you're saying, and it's been a little bit of time, it's been several sessions or whatever, you, you almost create more confusion. So what you have to do is your feedback has to be off what you're seeing and what they're sensing. Now you can connect with them. That gives them context. So that's why often I like to give feedback when they've had a, a couple failed reps, bad reps, and simply say, what did you feel on that? Like, what did that feel like? And they'll tell me. And if that person, that athlete, and I agree that that was what was wrong, then we're good. Then I just say, hey, keep going. You're, you're on the right track. I'll correct you if you're going to the wrong direction. You're good. But if they say something and I disagree with that, even if I don't say anything, but I know that's not right, then I have to check for understanding. So I might say, Michelle, do you understand how we're executing this exercise? Like, do you get, and if you say, well, yeah, I'm supposed to go here. I'm like, no, no, you misunderstood me. Let me, let me start over again. You go like this. Now that reorganizes for them how the process goes because there was a disconnect. And sometimes the issue is as simple as, and this is why my progression is always this way. When I introduce the skill to an athlete, I try to give them game context because they can visually see it and they can viscerally feel it. Like, oh yeah, I've been beat on defense when I don't do that very well. And then I'll, then I'll say, okay, here's the demonstration. Here's what I want you to be able to do. And then I always check for understanding. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm asking you to do? Yeah, I got it. Now, if they do it and they're close, now I know we're on the right path. But if they're really, really off, then I can just simply say, you, do you understand? You know, you do, yeah, I do. I just, I'm not feeling it yet. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Keep going. So it's that communication. That's the critical part of it. And that's where I see teachers or coaches over teach. And what they do is they give a rote learning process rather than having the client or the athlete feel their way and gain small wins along the way and celebrate those small wins. Hey, you've got so much better on that. That's awesome. Great job. Keep it up. That's exactly where I want you right now at this stage. Now they've got some really good wins to keep building on. Yeah, I feel like a lot of coaches struggle with their own impatience. Yes. They, they think things are going to happen right away, especially yeah. a lot of um, a lot of the coaches who I know who are highly focused on biomechanics and, and kind of fixing pain symptoms or mm -hmm. dysfunction or limitations, if you will. And it's like, you know, we have to step back and think about what the goals are and maybe focus on small wins with those things, but really try to emphasize the big picture of what they can do, their current capabilities and, and getting those things right. Yep. Now, after this call, you're probably going to think that like, I basically have like your quotes all over my wall, which is <laughs> I do, but this is one of my favorite quotes that I use all the time. It's, um, you said it. <laughs> you want to have knowledge to be able to recognize when you need that knowledge. And literally what you just said reminds me of that because it's like, you have to be, a. I say to people when I tell them that quote, you have to be a teacher first and a genius second. Exactly. You have to know, you can know a lot and that's great, 
but what's valuable right now? And I think um, a lot of coaches struggle with that of being able to take a step back. And like you said, it's like, well, maybe I didn't explain that correctly. The person that I'm working with doesn't even understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Can you get that down first? Exactly. Yeah, it's funny because the older I got and the more knowledge I got, the less I talked because I realized <laughs> that learning is, is taking place, but it's not going to be perfect. I just got to allow it to go and encourage and support, you know, and that's sometimes the best thing you can do for them. And you know what's cool? This is the other thing that I, I really, this is what I love about learning. In the, the area that I focus on in terms of uh, sharing information out to, to people on this multi-directional speak, there's no bias to that in terms of age or ability, right? I, anybody can run, anybody can jump, anybody that has, a, if they have the ability, I can have a seven-year-old, 17, 27-year-old, all do the same thing. I'm going to change intensities and volume, but they can all skip, they can all backwards run and, you know, do all these basic patterns. When we get into more skills like the weight room, that changes the equation a little bit. Not that they all can't squat and they all can't do this, but there's many exercises there that are not, that they're foreign to our body's normal movement patterns. Like I didn't grow up learning how to clean or how to snatch or how to do a, uh, you know, Turkish get up. Now, some of those patterns, I have the ability to get up, but that's where we have to be more detailed. So it's, it's going from this strength and conditioning world and this multi-directional speed world and understanding. Some of them are already hardwired. We just have to allow them to, to come out. Others, we have to kind of help them ingrain. It. And that's the difference between the teaching of those different disciplines. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, uh, taught a 65 year old male the other day how to do a kettlebell clean oh that's awesome he thought it was the coolest thing and I was like because oh. <laughs> we we work out of a crossfit and I looked over there and I was like you're doing the same thing as them without the barbell that's right <laughs> he was like oh, I don't look as tough <laughs> um so overall what would you say your three biggest change of direction misconceptions are well, I kind of, kind of, well, let me start with this one, because this is probably the one that I try to get across to most coaches is um, make sure when they change directions, they try to stay in the tunnel. And what that means is when I, when I'm, because if you're going to change directions, you're trying to be quick, typically. Okay. We're trying to be, move at a fairly rapid pace, not always, but typically. If I can maintain a, a consistent level into my foot entry into the ground and then on the exit phase of that force into the ground, it just increases my ability to move better and more fluently. What happens a lot of times is coaches will talk about we want to get in and we want to really load the hip. Yes, you load the hip. But what happens is they get in and they have them squat down into that pattern, then out. That will happen naturally. That's an intuitive thing that athletes will do based on speed, um, positioning of their foot. They'll naturally dip a little bit. But if we teach it, you know this, like anybody else, if you tell them to go one inch, they're going to go three inches just because you just because they want to do it, right? So I try to limit that by saying, look, at the key is to stay level, stay in the tunnel, get in, get out. 
when we teach them to get up and down and stuff like that, then we just kind of dissipate forces. Another big one that I don't think we pay attention to, and I kind of mentioned this earlier is, <laughs> excuse me, is um, we're all taught, and I was taught this for years. I played all sports in high school and in college, I played two sports. And even then, my coaches always talked about get on the balls of your feet when you cut, be on the balls of your feet. Don't let your heels touch. Don't let your... And it should be a full foot contact. It won't be always, but it should be close to a full foot. As long as my shin, my knees are forward, which dorsiflexes or flexes that ankle, I'm going to be on the ball of the foot. It actually transitions me forward and I'm going to get some pronation, which is a propulsive state, right? So we, we, when we teach them to get high, heel elevated, we've actually put them in a slower position at least, but at worst, we put them in a really compromised position in the ankle joint because now that entire complex is open and is very unstable because you're probably on about a two inch to three inch surface now between the length of my toe and the ball of my foot. That's all I've got. That's, that's pretty dangerous. So I think that's one that we really want to identify. And the other area that probably concerned me the most, and this was probably 25 years ago, I remember reading a research study from a major university, their medical department, and they talked about cutting. They did a whole research thing on cutting. They said, when you cut, the knee should be vertically aligned over the foot and the ankle. And I'm like, that is impossible. I have never seen an athlete go hard one direction plant their foot, put their knee vertically aligned over as if I'm doing a single leg squat and then be able to cut really quick and go in the new direction. What we want to understand is my knee position should be inside my foot and my hip should be inside my knee. But if we look at that vector, that is actually a very stable, strong angle because it goes through and it should go through my opposite shoulder. That is a kinetic chain, just like coming out of the blocks for sprinting. When I come or, uh, or starting accelerating, you get that line of force. And when coaches tell their athletes, ah, oh, be careful, you're going to go valgus. No, 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 we're not. We're not teaching valgus. We're allowing the, the leg to meet the forces of mass and momentum going in that direction. It's like, can you imagine doing a pole vault, running up to the box and put, it, put the, the, the stick straight down? You got to go on an angle and then it bends and then it goes up. It's the same thing with cutting. We have to make sure we're on those angles. So I would say those are three of the ones that, that uh, I see a lot. There's others that deal with the upper body, but those would be three that I definitely address. Yeah, those are, those are huge. All right. The last two burning questions that we always ask <laughs> is uh, what did you do in your last training session? In my last training session. All right. So this morning, because I, I pretty much work out every day. And so this morning I did, um, I have this thing. It's a, it's a, I can squat, I can, you can do stuff, but I did my push-up variations on this balance thing. And then I did some pulls. I did some rat, or, um, rack pulls or power shrugs, but I did different ver versions of that. I sometimes won't go overhead depending on how I feel. Um, did that, did my pull-ups today, got my pull-ups in. And then I did some lunge variations of, with medicine ball uh, reaches. So I did multi-directional, forward, sideways, back. And I tried to circuit all this stuff just to get my heart rate up. And I'm real big on my warm-up is kind of like a workout. I really get going on it and I get doing stuff. And while I'm doing it, I'm listening to a podcast and learning. 
Oh my gosh, me too. I never listen to music. It's always, I always listen to like an audio book or a podcast. Exactly. Every morning I look forward to it. This is my time. Uh, I come out in the morning. I, I get up at five and I, I, I shave and I come out here and I'm out here for a couple hours and I listen and I learn and I work out hard and it's the best time of the day for me. So what you're saying is I have to move to Florida. <laughs> yes, you got to get down. And that's the nice thing. I can open the garage and I go for my walks and it's oh, beautiful. So stop it. <laughs> um, all right. Last question. What's something that you've changed your mind on recently? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, turn, well, one thing nutritionally, I've kind of done some different stuff, but um, what are those? Um, it's funny, Michelle, over the years, I try all diets. Like I, I went vegetarian a long time ago. Then I went pure vegan for a year. I wanted to see what it felt like. Um, and then I went now, right now I'm in a really high protein meat, uh, fat, you know, dairy and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny. It's, it's the best I have felt of all these years of doing stuff. It's the best I felt right now for me. Um, and I know probably my genetics, my mom and dad were big, you know, my mom cooked pot roast and all this of growing up. We always had stuff like that. So I always have had it. And, but doing that eggs and things like that, I've done really, really well. With it. I've probably gotten stronger and I just felt better and I actually mentally felt better. So that's yeah. a big thing. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. So when I was in grad school, one of the professors that I worked under was a big uh, ketogenic researcher. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did my dissertation on. And I was keto for two years. Yeah. And it was the best I have ever physically felt. And I told people that and they're like, well, why, why don't you eat that way now? And I'm like, oh, that is a great question. <laughs> it's hard at times because... Yeah. You know, you want to, you know, have other things. And I'm a very disciplined person. Like I can, I can eat something. I could eat one thing for a year if I had to, if that was what I felt good. I'm just that way. But, but I get it. It's tough at times with stuff like that. And uh, Mm -hmm. so that's definitely one thing that I've I've changed. And the other one that um, um, kind of, it's funny for a long time when it comes to strength training, I was very much into only bars, dumbbells, kettlebells, bands, you know, just functional basic stuff, right? No machines. And now I'm starting to realize, and I think it might just because I'm older and for me personally, I don't, I don't have any machines. I don't do anything like that. But I've been reading more on it and stuff and the purpose why you may use a machine or you may do stuff like that. Or the re- if I'm doing hypertrophy, that's different, right? But if I'm doing, if I'm working with athletes, a, a reason to be able to use a machine to get a, a particular result. I'm starting to change my mind on that a little bit because I was so against it before. I'm like, ah, you don't just stay away. You don't need them. Now I'm kind of like, well, you know, there can be reasons. It can be a purpose for that. And you can get a benefit, maybe like a hammer strength or something like that. That's generating some power that you really want to hit a specific pattern, stuff like that. But I was really just, I was all, just basic functional type stuff, you know, like the bars and the, the regular, uh, the regular yeah. exercises. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm right on the same boat. So we had last season, we had Eric Smith on. He works with the Memphis Grizzlies now and Jared Boyd's there. And they're big into machines and isolated exercises. And Eric was a fan. You should listen to his episode. He talked about it a lot. But yeah, I've I've included uh, machines in my training a little bit more since we talked to Eric. And uh, I mean, you can still push them with speed and you know, they're very, very isolating. So I've uh, kind of enjoyed adding those things into my own training. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. I love to listen to that. <laughs> All right. All right, Lee, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I know the listeners definitely enjoyed it. They had to have. Um, so where can people find out more about you? <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. This was a ball. But um, yeah, if they go to anything LeeTaft.com or, or LeeTaft on social media, they can they can find me. I try to share as much information as I can to, to help and, and to get ideas and questions and start conversations. And then if, if you have any people that are interested in basketball stuff, if they go to basketballspeedspecialist.com, they can learn more about that program. And, and yeah, and, and anytime they have any questions, just reach out. I'm always open to, to conversation. All right. Thanks, Leigh. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it becomes for fine movement professionals like you to find us, and the more time Michelle and I can devote to bringing on high-caliber guests and continuing to produce a high-quality show. If you're still listening, that means you're pretty cool, and that likely means your friends are pretty cool too. We'd love for them to become fans of the show. Spread the injury prevention love and the biomechanical knowledge by sharing a screenshot of your favorite episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Dr. Michelle Bolin and at Tim Richard DPT when you do. Now get out there and go train.